I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 21, 1969. How long were you waiting for this one? Like, since we started. Like, the whole time. The whole time, yeah. Yeah. This, <laughs> I, I just, it's like, it's fun, and there's like some, like, jeopardy, but there's not really, like, peril, oh my god, are they gonna die? It's just, how are they gonna solve this problem kind of a thing? And it's like... It's like a little bit more lighthearted, which is kind of good, especially when there's like so much drama a lot of the time and so much like death, like imminent death is pending. And then this is just like they're driving around the country in a pretty painted bus. <laughs> and in hippie clothes. In hippie clothes. And can they make it home? That so. I inherited from my mother. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? I really like this one, although I always... I. I love and hate the storyline about how they have like the circle of time of, you know, meeting characters that they meet later, because if you think about it, that kind of breaks your brain in terms of like the whole rest of the series. It's, it's not just like a fun, Oh, Hey, time travel. But since they did it with like a main character, not just like some side dude that they say hi to later, it, it, I don't know. It's pretty, if you think about it too hard, it's terrible, but this was like yeah. fun. So I'll let it go. Yeah. This is definitely the sort of the back to the future time travel theory where past events directly impact you. And it doesn't just like, you know, alternate universe splinter off kind of a thing. So, but yeah, yeah there's many theories of time travel out there. And I don't know. This one, this one's not too bad, but it is very like very specific things had to like keep happening. Not like not just happen once, but like keep happening mm-hmm. to make it possible. And and apparently they did because this episode happened. So <laughs> everything works out fine. Like, this is gonna work out fine because it already happened. What? Exactly. Oh, Everything's okay. gonna be fine because it is. Yeah. That is a good comparison of the the Back to the Future theory. Yeah. Well, thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. Should we get into it? Yes. Okay. So this originally aired on March 5th, 1999. It was written by Brad Wright and directed by Charles Correll. And in this episode, a cosmic accident causes SG-1 to be sent back 30 years into Earth's past where they must locate the Stargate and find a way home. So, yeah, that summary works. And nowhere in there does Summer of 69 play. I know. Well, that song isn't actually from 69. It's from the 80s. So. Well, yeah. Yeah. Still would have been fun to have like a groovy cover of it, maybe. Maybe as like the end credits played out. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> I can, maybe I can fit that in this podcast somewhere. So keep keep an ear out for. <laughs> Summer 69, maybe somewhere in here. I don't know. Wait. We'll see. That'll uh, be that'll be my memo. I'm declaring that you should have <laughs> sent out when you time travel to a time that has an actual song with the time and the name. At some point during your adventure, song must be heard. Alrighty then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in this episode, we open in the gate room with Jack, Daniel, and Tilk all in their gear and ready to head out on a mission. And Sam is up in the control room reworking the calculations because of solar something. Daniel wasn't really paying attention. Uh, So Jack yells up and apparently she has to recheck for the stellar drift because the path between Earth and their destination takes them close enough to the sun, which is... 70,000 miles, but apparently in cosmic term, that's still very close, that Sam needs to make sure the computer compensates for the gravitational pull of passing that close to the sun. So she gets that all set and she starts to head down into the gate room when Hammond stops her and he asks about like the cut on her hand. She's, she's got like a really nasty cut on her hand. And Miss Makeup Artist, what what are your feelings on the cut on the back of Amanda Tapping's hand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> it's funny. We just, yeah. But I do have a question, though, about this scene is like, it kind of messes with the whole premise of the show. But like, why didn't they just wait <laughs> until 
whatever, calc like until it was all clear to proceed as usual on the mission instead of having to do all sorts of extra calculations. Because Sam is super smart and the calculations are fine. It's not a big deal. She's got it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so Sam's got the cut on her hand and then like Hammond gives her a note to keep until they get to their destination. And he's like, Hammond's acting a little squirrely here. And Sam's kind of like gives him a look like, okay. And, you know, like he, she does what he says and then like heads down to the gate room and the gate activates, activates and off they go. But not before Sam like sort of turns back and gives Hammond one last look before they head out because yeah, something, something's a little squirrely. Get off with that man. Yeah, a little bit. Mm. So SG-1 exits the gate back, back in the gate room. Uh, and they're all confused. And then suddenly the gate room just like dissolves and they're standing underneath the butt end of a Titan missile. And less cool. Yeah, very, very much less cool. And we hear over the PA that the test burn will begin in 20 seconds. So that's what now? the test burn. <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly what it sounds like. Yes. So Jack, Daniel, and Sam, like, all sort of, like, hop off the platform they're on and start, like, trying to, like, find a way out or trying to find a way to, like, stop the missile. And Jack starts yelling, like, abort, abort, hoping, like, maybe somebody will, like, hear and cancel the test. And while they're all running around crazy, Tilt just kind of stands there calmly and, like, looks up and then just casually takes out his zat, opens it up, and, like, as the countdown's going, it gets to, like, three. And everybody else, like, ducks for cover. And Tilk just, like, shoots the missile with his dat as he just stands there. And then the countdown gets to one. And, hey, nothing happens. Which <laughs> I just, I always think it's just, it's it's amusing. Like, they're all running around. It's like, oh, my God, we're going to die. And Tilk's just like, hmm. I Take out the batteries. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So the missile doesn't fire. They're all safe. They're not dead. They haven't been burnt to a crisp. And uh, a bunch of soldiers then charge into the room and order them to their knees with their hands on their heads as we cut to the opening credits. So, did you have any idea what was going on at this point? Like, do you remember, like, originally watching it? Did you, you, like, have an inkling about what might be happening? Well, no, I didn't remember each and every detail, but I vaguely did remember kind of what was happening. So, yeah. This one... I mean, like, when you, when like you, like, originally, first. originally, yeah. Oh, do you not remember? the rewatch part. We're going back to the yeah, other we're time. we're going back to your, your original watch. Like, do you, do you remember <gasps> what you thought at this time? The, the watch watch so, so many moons ago. Yeah. Um, I thought it wasn't necessarily time travel. I thought it was some sort of alternate reality thing again. Okay. Yeah. That would make sense. Because we've, yeah. we've already had alternate reality, so... Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So well, we're also supposed to believe that um, the entire missile was in there, or just part of the missile? Uh, it looks like it's supposed to be the entire missile. It is a missile silo. Okay. Because that also, for some reason, it just reminded me of weird science. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. When there's that part of that movie, which freaking missile just like goes through the house, pops yeah. out of the house. Yeah. I it somehow just reminded me of that of just like huge missile in a building. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean that that building's purpose is to house missiles. So, mm-hmm. yes. So we come back from the opening credits to SG1 like, you know, still being held at gunpoint or basically exactly where we left off before the credits and like in they're in the gate room question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and the soldiers are like asking who they are and how they got there. And Sam advises them not to say anything because this is the gate room and they're still in Cheyenne Mountain. And they're all just like, shut up and stop talking. And then somebody comes over the intercom and orders them to be taken to the holding room. And Jack instead demands that he be taken to the CO. But that just gets him the butt of a gun to his face. That happens way too easily in shows, isn't it? Yeah. And we're just like, boom, bash. Yeah. In the face. In the face. Like- yeah 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 uh we then cut to two soldiers examining all of the various equipments and weaponry that was stripped off of sg1 and it's all to be transported somewhere 
And the one sergeant that's there had been ordered to forget he ever saw it. So he has no idea what the other guy is talking about and then just leaves him to continue examining everything. And uh, the guy there pulls out a vest and like that note is sticking out of Sam's pocket a little bit. And so he pulls it out and says George on it and he unfolds it and opens it. And on the inside is just a message that says help them August 10th, 9.15 a.m., August 11th, 6.03 p.m. And he's kind of staring at it like something about it makes sense to him, sort of, somehow. So that's even more like, okay, so what's happening here? How does that make sense? Because it really doesn't mean anything yet. Would would you have recognized a note that you didn't write in your handwriting? Or would you be like, huh, somebody has close to my handwriting. That's weird. Yeah, I I don't know. Because, I mean... You can, I can, even when I'm like writing out notes on things, like how my handwriting looks at the top of the page is very different from how my handwriting looks at like the bottom of the page. Mm-hmm. Like my, my handwriting changes so much just in, even in the course of like a page that I don't know. Yeah. Or like how fast you're writing or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have recognized a note of like, what? This is written by my own hand? This is yeah. weird. No, I just would have been like, huh, somebody knows my name and yeah. has handwriting that looks like mine. That's weird. Yeah. So over with SG-1 in their holding cell, Sam seems to think that they've traveled back in time about 30 years. And Daniel seems really excited about the possibility of them having cracked time travel and, like, all the awesome places they could go. And Tilk joins in that, yeah, you can, like, prevent all these, like, horrific events of your past. And Sam is like, no, like, no, we cannot do anything. We cannot change anything. We can't tell anybody anything about, like, who we are or where we're from. As she cites the grandfather paradox, which is, you know, if you go back in time and kill your grandfather before one of your parents is born, you will never be born. So you can never go back in time to kill your grandfather. And it's, you know, those brain melting things, Um, which everybody is familiar with. So I thought here's my fun fact for this little scene. (gasps) Fun fact. Fun fact. Uh, When do you think the grandfather paradox was proposed and by what type of person? Oh, is it somebody that did want to go back and kill her grandfather? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, like occupation. What, like, what year and, like, occupation do you think the person had who first proposed the grandfather paradox? Oh. Huh. I'm wondering, oh, man, was this somebody that actually had a normal profession? Or was this, like, a sci-fi writer in, like, 1984? Uh, hmm. Bleh. I don't. Mm. I'm going with... It's like I'm guessing a clue character. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who would have been thinking about time travel? Mm, I'm going with it was some sort of sci-fi writer in the 30s. Oh, you're not far off. So it was first proposed by a French journalist and science fiction writer, René Barjavel, in 1943. Ooh, okay. So, yeah, you were close. <laughs> Not yeah. bad. Ten points to Gryffindor. Woo-hoo. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so guards then enter the room, and one of them approaches Daniel and asks him in Russian if they are Soviet spies. And Daniel just replies, "Yet." And Jack goes, Daniel? And he's like, what? He just asked if we were Russian spies, and I just... And then it clicks in his head what he did. He like answered in Russian and they asked in Russian and she's like, ah, Daniel done goofed. Uh oh. (laughs) So uh, the soldiers then order Jack to go with them, which he does. And he goes like, yit, as he walks by Daniel, like, (laughs) but I mean, if I was Daniel, I probably, I, I don't know if I wouldn't have done what Daniel did, honestly. Yeah, you know, know, Russian is instinctive. Exactly. Um, We cut to Jack in an interrogation room being questioned by Major Robert Thornbird. And just to drive home the point that, like, this is in the past. The major's, like, smoking inside, which is not a thing anybody does anymore. That's always how they convey that, too, is that, like, every single person is smoking. Yes. (laughs) FYI, this is in the past. Um, So Jack tells him his name is James T. Kirk. And, like, Jack manages to do, like, a really good job of, like, not actually.
actually answering any of the questions that this major like has for him I think I think mm-hmm. but I think my favorite exchange is when Thornbird asks him about the weapon like you know so you know like what's that thing and they're like you know our camera saw this like weapon that you had and Jack's like oh well that's hard to say and then Thornbird goes some sort of state secret and Jack just goes no just difficult to pronounce yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I mean he's not lying <laughs> thing so yeah so basically these people here are basically just running with the whole soviet spy angle and jack is like threatened with being shipped off to the cia and does he have anything to say and like his only response is that his name is not actually kirk it's skywalker luke skywalker and you know what though is that it only occurred to me this time around watching is that that joke wouldn't have landed with those people because star wars didn't come out till the 70s Exactly. But Jack, I mean, Jack doesn't care about that. It's just, as I long know. as it's not his real name. I mean, it's well, funny I know, about but, us, but. but they end the scene with the other guy looking at him like, okay, I know you're being a smart ass, but like, he wouldn't have known. <laughs> I think it's more just, yeah, okay, just tell us more lies, I think, is sort of where Thornbird was going with that look. It's like, oh, just more lies. Okay, great. Not, you know, necessarily that he's being a smart ass. Yeah. Um. I mean, so, maybe because the previous one he said was Star Trek, he's like, obviously, this is some other reference I'm not getting, but still. Yeah, like he probably, like he should have known who James T. Kirk is because Star Trek was out at that point, like the original series was. Um, so he definitely should have known that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I just figured, yeah. And, you know, his last name Skywalker is very sci-fi-y. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, what was his name supposed to be? Wasn't it supposed to be like Star something? Oh, Luke Skywalker's name is supposed yeah. to be something else? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay, let's do another time for live Googling. Luke. I'm providing the intense music. Luke Starkiller. Starkiller. <laughs> yeah. Skywalker's definitely better than Starkiller. Oh, my God. This is yeah. terrible. Yeah. So I, I think oh. that yeah, Skywalker is a good a good upgrade from Starkiller. I feel like there must have been some other at some point in time I'm gonna go with somebody did a Star Wars parody where they called him Luke Skykiller, Starkiller. Possibly. Yeah. I feel like that has been referenced somewhere. Possibly. 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 I, I that that I could not recall off the top of my head, but hmm. um so we get a quick cut back to like the present day SGC and Hammond is up in the briefing room, sort of like staring down forlornly at the gate when one of the technicians comes up and informs him that there's still no sign of SG one and that they never made it to P2X555. So, okay. SG five will have to complete their mission instead. And the tech seems a little confused that like Hammond doesn't seem at all worried about SG one saying, and, like, Hammond then also, like, brushes off any sort of, like, shouldn't we, like, search for them? And he's like, this one they got to do on their own. And it's just like, what do you know? Like, what? <laughs> like, you know something. You are entirely too calm for, like, SG-1 being missing. And you, like, seemingly don't care. Yeah. So something, something's going on with Hammond here. And we then cut back to SG-1, who's now in the back of a truck trying to formulate a plan. And Sam's plan is to just, like, escape and live out the rest of their lives with making as little impact on the world around them as possible. Like, just go into hiding. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch anything. Don't talk to anybody. Like, go live like hermits in the woods, basically, is Sam's plan. And Jack's just like, or... there, There is no or in this situation right now, as far as Sam is concerned. Like... This is like, this they're is, done for. They're, they're, this is the this is the end of the plan. The plan is escape and don't do anything. <laughs> um, but we do learn an interesting thing here from Tilk, which is that if he is not able to like remove and replace the symbiote when it matures, he will then be taken over and become a ghoul himself, which is quite that interesting. was interesting. I did not remember that one. Yeah, I don't think I did either. No. And I was like, yeah, that's really interesting. Does that mean it would just kind of like eat its way out from wherever he was and just like embed itself in him then? I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of swimming around in its own pouch. Well, is it even a pouch or is it just kind of swimming around free form in his body? I don't know. 
I don't know if there's actually like a pouch that they're in, if they're just sort of swimming around willy nilly. I think it's got to be some sort of pouch. Okay. So, I mean, I guess so. Like, yeah, just that each through whatever placental like sack it's in. And I just feel, I don't like those words I just said. <laughs> Something you didn't want to think about until just now. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry for putting that mental image in everybody's head out there. Really, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's terrible thought. Um, But I mean, I guess guess so. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Unless it swims out of, like, on his stomach and, like, crawls up his body and, like, you know, goes in the back of his head like they do. Oh, like when he's sleeping or something? Yeah. <gasps> oh, that would be like creepy. The, like, does it force him into, like, kill no ream or something? And then as he's, you know, in his meditative thing, it just, like, crawls up his body and in the back of his head? Uh, no, I think it would all be internal because it you could fix internal. whatever. Okay. It could heal whatever it damages. Yeah. With surgery, like, precision. This. Yes, it could. I'm sure. Okay. Ugh. Yeah. All right, so should we move on from this? <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, one of the tires then blows, so the truck pulls off to the side so they can fix it. And the young soldier who found the note in Sam's pocket is like, there's two other guys with him, and he's like, you guys do the tire. I'll go keep an eye on the guys in the back. So he gets in the back of the van and demands to know what's going on before he does what it says in the note. And Sam kind of looks at him weird and then notices the name on his uniform. It says Hammond. <gasps> what? Surprise! There, There is a little goof, though. Uh, is it spelled so, wrong? No. It's just oh. the actor who plays young Hammond has brown eyes, but Don has blue. Oh. So. Yeah, yeah. that's they often do yeah, miss that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so apparently this young gentleman is Lieutenant George Hammond, and he's going to help them because this is all his idea. Albeit one he won't have for 30 years, but it's still his plan. And obviously, you know, he doesn't believe them because, like, what, time travel? Yeah, no, it's not a thing. So they try to, like, convince him and they ask him what the date is. And so he tells them it's August 4th, 1969. And they're like, oh, the moon landing just happened. He's like, the whole world knows the moon landing just happened, obviously. And so Jack goes, but how many people know that you watched it in the hospital at your father's bedside? Which is, that's that's not something you tell people who aren't, like, close friends, I don't think. So, yeah. So this seems to be enough to convince him. And so he sets them free and apologizes to Sam as she winces because he kind of, like, brushes against the cut on her hand when he goes to take the cuffs off. And so, like, Sam asks for the note, too, so she can start looking at it. And then they tell him to call for help. And turns out he had swiped uh, the zap gun from Tilk, so he has that with him. And so basically the plan is like, you know, he's going to jump out of the van, call for help like they've escaped. And then the other two come running and Jack knocks them out with the Zat. So those who are unconscious, Hammond is on our side. And so Jack asks about all like their gear, like where is that? And it's being shipped on a separate truck that should be like right behind them. So SG1 kind of hides down the little embankment on the side of the road and like tell Hammond to like, lay down like he also got knocked out with the other guys so once the supply truck comes around the corner they stop because they see you know this apparently horrible thing has happened here and jack jumps up and knocks out those guys with the zat because the zat is also handy and in the back of the truck there's the two boxes with all their stuff in it jack digs through it takes out the gdo and like a little another small black pouch of something it's i don't know quite what it is but there's something in there um and then they get the two boxes get the three zap blast to make them disappear which once again thing the writers hate but comes oh so handy um yes but luckily also in that box was the videotape of tilk using the gun on the missile so all like proof of their existence is now like basically gone poof so Mm -hmm. so things are looking up and Jack asks Hammond if he has any cash, which he does. And Jack is like, great, thanks. I'll pay you back with interest. As he just, like, grabs the whole wad. <laughs> and that, that was a funny scene where yeah. he, I like when people do it when they take out their cash and they, like, start to count it. And the other person's just like, thank you, and takes the entire. <laughs> yeah. It's also funny because, like, Jack and Sam 
are higher ranked than Hammond, like in this moment. So that that also just adds in a little twist that like he's he's their boss, but not like right now, which is a little mm-hmm. weird. Um, and so Hammond's like, you know, what are you guys gonna do next? And Jack's like, it's probably better that you don't know, but also please understand that what I'm what I'm gonna do like right now keeps you from getting court martialed. And so Hammond gets his added too. And SG-1 head off into the woods to try and find the interstate so they can come up with a plan. Plan C. As long as it's not plan M. Yeah. <laughs> Never plan M. Never plan M. Um, so they're, they're, they're walking through the woods to try and come up with a plan. And so Jack has a plan. It's find the Stargate. That That's your plan. Yep, that's his plan. Yes. Okay, so once we find the Stargate, how do we get home? Uh, it's in the note, right, Sam? Uh, and saying so she's like, uh, no, I don't, I don't know, no, but else I don't know. It like just has like dates and times on it. So, okay, so obviously the note means like something happens on those dates and times. So they just need to figure out what that is, and they can use it to get home. And you know, Sam's like, he probably had to be purposefully cryptic to avoid corrupting the timeline too much, which I mean does make sense. So, so I didn't do the proper thinking of like what date Hammond told them it was versus the how much time is in between that date and what's on the paper. Uh, so it is August 4th, according to Hammond. Yeah. And then the dates are August 10th and August 11th. Okay, so it's only so, a few days. Yeah, so like a week, six to seven okay. days. So yeah, plenty right. of time. That would have been interesting if it was more time. Yeah, no, it's like a week. So, All right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, yep. Uh, so Daniel also suggests possibly visiting Catherine in New York because outside of the military, she's probably the only person who might know where the Stargate is. And again, Sam is like, you can't do that. Like Catherine has to meet you in like 1996 at his, at you know, your lecture on the thing. And he's like, okay, so we'll go in disguise. And Jack's like, as what? He's like, I speak 23 languages, pick one. So apparently Daniel <laughs> speaks 23 languages, show off. Um but also, according to Daniel, Catherine had said that her interest in the gate picked back up in the late 60s. Maybe this is what that incident was. Maybe, like, them going to ask her about it is the thing. Makes so. her go, hmm, hmm. gate? Hmm. Hmm. Whatever happened with that? Hmm. So, um, meanwhile, Sam has been trying to, like, flag down a ride so they can hitch somewhere, but it's not working. And Tilk finally just, like, gets fed up and just, like jumps into the middle of the road and like puts his hands up and a bus stops like a, like a painted, like an actual bus, not like a VW bus. Like a groovy Partridge family type bus. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. It's fantastic. And the doors open and it's Alex Zahara back again as Michael. Yay. Yay. Remind us who Alex is. Uh, He was Zell's in spirits. Uh And he, 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 comes back like four or five more times as other various aliens but just you know if you've ever been to a creation convention alex zahara dan Payne, they usually like mc the whole weekend they're awesome guys they're cool people Mm -hmm. um so but yes so alex zahara is back and it turns out he and his girlfriend are headed to a big concert in upstate new york gee i wonder what that concert could be in august 1969 I i don't do you have any ideas rachel i don't know i don't know like what? What is he talking about? I don't know. Uh, Holland Oats. May- oh, maybe that could be cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Prince. Mm. I don't think <laughs> Prince is around yet. <laughs> maybe maybe like he was Jimmy up and Hen- coming. <laughs> maybe, maybe like Jimi Hendrix or like Bob Dylan or something. Ah, uh, be cool. Mm-hmm. Uh. Anyway, but hey, it turns out SG One is also headed to New York, so cool. Hop in, and uh, so. Tilk sits up front with Michael, and then the other three go in the back with Jenny. That's the girl. Her name is Jenny. And she's, like, asking them, like, what they did and stuff. And Jenny's like, we we didn't do anything. And Jack adds that, like, they just have a problem with the establishment. And also they could use some cheap clothes. So if you find a cheap clothes shop, (laughs) you could stop. That'd be great. And Michael tries to, like, make conversation with Tilk about his, like, Jaffa symbol, but, like, it it's not go well. <laughs> He's like, does it mean peace? No, it does not mean peace, Michael, like, at all. Complete opposite of that. 
but like it's cool and uh he and jenny might even like cross up into canada after the concert because of the war he's like oh the war with canada no tilk not not the war with canada i did like that whole exchange yeah (laughs) it's really good um and then it's montage time i love a good montage we see the bus driving along Route 66 as SG-1 with Michael and Jenny travel by map. And <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so we see, like, SG-1, like, buying new clothes and, like, passing through St. Louis. Jack, like, working on the engine of the bus and Tilk learning how to drive, which is very exciting. Yay. They also make a stop in Chicago. However, there's a goof because the shot of Chicago includes the Sears Tower, which didn't actually start construction until 1970. Nah. So, whoops. Uh, so, this is, like, the most that Tilk has ever seen of Earth then, isn't it? I think so, yes. Yeah, they're finally letting him outside. Yeah. <laughs> and he's seeing how it used to be. So now the net, like, it would probably be really wild for him the next time he actually goes outside and sees how different things are from the only other time he's ever been outside. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> but he's getting to see the cool part because they're traveling on Route 66, which is cool and awesome. True. That is a road trip I have on my bucket list is doing mm-hmm. the Route 66. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Um, and so then the last stop we get on this little trip is Philadelphia and the bus appears parked in like a campground, whether officially or unofficially is unclear. And SG one is like sitting around a small fire while Michael and Jenny are sort of off in the back a little bit. And Jack passes out cups of soup while Sam supposes that they must have been sent back in time because of a solar flare. And after the first Abydos mission, when they couldn't get the gate to like, connect to any other planets or anything sam was requested by hammond to study alternate uses of the gate including time travel the theory was that if your path of travel happened to pass i'm i'm unclear if it's like through or near a solar flare um the increased gravity would basically slingshot you back to earth but nothing ever happened with this research because solar flares are impossible to predict. Like, because of how long it takes light to travel to Earth, by the time we see the solar flare, the solar flare is already over. So if you can't predict it, how can we use it? But I don't have to predict it because they know when two solar flares will be happening in the near future. August 10th at 9.15 a.m. and August 11th at 6.03 p.m. We, we hope. <laughs> Basically. Theoretically. Theoretically. So... During this whole conversation, like, Michael and Jenny are sort of, like, just far enough in the background that they're maybe, like, overhearing some of what SG-1 is saying, but maybe not the whole conversation. And finally, they come up and they're like, okay, who, like, who are you people, like, really? Because you're saying some really weird shit that, like, does not make any sense. Like, traveling between Earth and where? What do you mean traveling from Earth? Like, you can't travel off Earth, so what are you talking about? She's a moon? Who knows? Yeah, and so Sam tries to play it off like she was just imagining, and Michael's like, no, man, no, you, you're not, this is not an imagination thing. And Jenny then mentions that, you know, they had said they were in trouble with the establishment, and Jack's like, yes, that's true, it's just not the establishment of this planet. <gasps> what? <gasps> So Jack and Daniel basically start pretending to be aliens that were sent to Earth a long, long time ago from a galaxy far, far away. Uh, Which I love how they find that like that angle is way more believable than telling them that they're time travelers. Well, I mean, you know, we did just go to the moon. So space travel is like a thing now. So I guess. (laughs) They could just been like, thanks for that. Uh, We were living on the moon. And thanks for, like, coming and invading my neighborhood. Yeah. Jerks. So Michael and Jenny, like, they're still a little, like, unsure about. I They don't quite buy the whole alien thing either. And then Jack pulls out the Zack gun and blasts it at the fire, makes the fire go, like, whoosh. And it's, it's you know, suitably impressive. So, okay, they'll help SG-1 get home. So, yay. Yes. yes. And then we get another shot of the bus driving, where it's going. And one of the shots we get in this little montage is montage is a shot of the New Jersey Star newspaper. So fun fact, it's also going to be a game. So Ooh, put your thinking cap on, Rachel. 
All right. Man. Okay. So this is a fictional newspaper. However, there are two prominent headlines that are on that front page. One is true and one is false. So I'm going to give you the two headlines and you're going to tell me which one you think is real and which one you think is fake. Ooh, okay. Okay. So the first headline, Nixon to vacation at the summer White House or Sharon Tate for others murdered. Which is the real headline? Sharon Tate was the real one, isn't it? It is! Yay! Yay. Ten more points to Gryffindor! Yay! I'm a Hufflepuff, (laughs) though. You're going to have to change that. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Uh, Okay, sorry. All right, ten points to Hufflepuff. Yay! So, uh, Nixon did not vacation at the Summer White House in August of 1969. He vacationed at the Western White House, which was in San Clemente, California. There was such a thing as the Summer White House. Apparently, like, every president has, like, a Summer White House like a sort of like an official vacation home, if you will. And mm. for Nixon, it was in Key Biscayne, Florida, in case anybody cares. Um, and then the Sharon Tate murder, that's true. Uh, she was murdered on August 8th, 1969 by members of the Manson family, and her body was found the following day. Um, if you remember, if I don't know if anybody, if you saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like Margot Robbie played Sharon Tate, and is sort of like that part of the story. There's, there's, movies and everything out there so i won't go into it but yes congratulations rachel you got it right so that's funny (laughs) i never had heard of any of the vacation homes being referred to as like the other white house i only remember they say like oh so and so went to you know camp david or mar-a-lago or like wherever their other haven is yeah like camp david is like one of the summer white houses so it is sort of popular one but like the president can have their own you know pick someplace else if they want so yeah <laughs> where do you want your okay if you're a president where would you want your summer house to be uh hawaii thanks Ooh, that's an excellent choice yeah summer well, white too, house that might be too far away though mm-hmm. so yeah so maybe like california something out there like, Florida's a little too just muggy and humid and too much bugs and stuff. Ah. Oh, yeah. California wouldn't be too bad. California wouldn't be too bad. What about you? What do you think? Oh, uh, you know, I might go with you on California or maybe someplace in Texas. Ooh. That could be good. Yeah. You know, like on a ranch. Ooh. If I'm getting away for a while. Might as well be on a ranch. Do, do, do some cowgirling? Yeah, but no, I'd probably go with California. Okay. <laughs> I am more of a city girl. Yeah. I always think I'd like to get away. And then I'm like, no, I, I like amenities. You know? I like I like people and things. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the bus then stops briefly outside an observatory where Jack and Tilk hop out to try and prove Sam's like solar flare theory correct. So uh, fun fact here again. Ooh, okay. Is that a real like- observatory? Uh, it is. So that is the Gordon McMillan Southam Observatory in Vancouver that was built in 1979. So, <laughs> a little bit after this, but that's okay. Cause, so I did try to see if I could figure out what observatory they're supposed to be at, but there's actually so many observatories like in New York that it's like, it's impossible to like figure out, I think, which one they were sort of supposed to be going to. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few like Stargate websites out there that reference that this observer that this is supposed to be like the Yonkers Observatory. However, I cannot find any such observatory to exist with that name no. in it. Um, the closest thing to it is like the there's a place called the Hudson River Museum, but it has a planetarium, but not like a telescope or anything. So no. I don't know. Um, but um, other notable uh Shows and films that have filmed at the Gordon Observatory include MacGyver, Tomorrowland, and Psych. Oh, I love all of those things, especially yeah. Psych. I heart yeah. Psych so much. Yeah. That's funny that there was a MacGyver there, though. Well, yeah, it all, you know, filmed there, so, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I wonder if Jack walked in and was like, or Rick walked in and was like, oh, hey, this is familiar. Like, I've been here before. Been here before. Yes. Many years ago. Yep. Uh, so then we get some more traveling by map as the bus like moves from New Jersey through New York City and then like back to Jersey City, which is apparently where Catherine Langford is living. 
So we see Sam and Daniel visiting Catherine with Daniel pretending to be the son of a German colleague of her father. And in an interesting uh, mix of German and English with a weird German accent, Daniel manages to convince Catherine that they found, I'm guessing the DHD. He references like a second device. So, I mean, that would have to be the DHD because she also says like, we always knew there had to be something that could control it. So... Daniel manages to convince Catherine that they're legit. They know what the Stargate is. They know what this thing is, but they need to know where the Stargate is because they have this other thing that might go with it. And so they do eventually get out of her that the gate is currently in an armory in Washington, D.C. Another little fun fact here, uh, just in the German version, like the German dub of this episode, Daniel uses a French accent when in disguise. Oh, that's funny. Because, you know, he would be speaking German in the German dubs. They had to go with a different foreign accent. So apparently they went with French in the German dub. Well, you know, his costume could also double as, like, French. It's, you know, just, you you know, 60s European. Yes. 60s foreign person. Yep. Yes. So... Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. So we get a quick cut... Back to the observatory, and yes, the theory is correct. It is a solar flare. Yay, woohoo. Is it uh, possible to actually see, like, the clip of the solar flare that they put on, you know, on TV? I did kind of wonder, like, is that just made for TV, or is that something that you can actually see with those telescopes? No, you can, yeah, you can see solar flares. If you have, like, yeah. when they dropped them off, Sam was like, make sure you use the right flare, otherwise you'll blind yourself because you're looking at the sun. So, yeah. yeah, as long as they have the right filters on the telescope, you can, yeah, look at the sun. Pretty badass. Yeah. So my question, though, about this is, like, Hammond only gave them, like, the hour and the minute, but they're still 60 seconds within that minute. Like, how do they know it started, like, exactly at 9.15 or whatever that minute is? Why well, can it start at, like, you know, 9.15 in 12 seconds? Like, what? You're getting you're getting too thoughty with it because then if they headed down to the second, then they would have been like, "What is like? What clock are we going with? Who's watch? Yeah. Where do we synchronize? What Earth clock do we need to sync to?" Yeah, well, there's the atomic clock. Yeah, you'd have to. Which you know, I would think you know NASA data would be timed to the the atomic clock. Hopefully, yes. Yeah. So. Mm, but yeah, uh, you're getting too you're getting too thoughty with it. Too, too, am I going too far with it? All right. All right. All right. Well, okay. So the bus swings back by to pick up Jack and Tilk and Sam and Danielle let them know that they got to head to DC. And uh, Sam is like, it might be cutting it kind of close, especially since they have to find a power source too, but she thinks they'll make it, which it's only about like four hours between New York and DC. And they have like more than a day to get there. I'm not quite sure. I understand the cutting it close comment. Like, Unless, did they leave Jack and Tilk in the observatory overnight or something? I, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to figure out the time here and it doesn't, it's not making any sense to me. So can you help me make it make sense, what? Rachel? That is a good point. Maybe they just think they were cutting it close between getting there, finding it, uncreating it, figuring out how to power it up. Because they didn't know how they were going to do any of that. Okay, well, so here's the time. So the solar flare that Jack and Tilk observed was at 9.15 a.m. They had until the next day at 6.03 p.m. to drive four hours. Power it up. Mm, True. Maybe they need to stop for pizza. (laughs) I mean, they're in New York. If you don't get pizza when you're in New York, maybe some bagels. Taking a show. (laughs) (laughs) What Broadway know. show was playing in 1969? Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes. Let's see. Broadway show. Was it Cats as the longest running Broadway show in history? Let's see. We have um, 1776 was playing. Um, apparently some sort of Canterbury Tales thing. Mm. Uh, two productions of Hamlet happened. Oh. Um, in the matter of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Right. Uh, Henry V, Lestrada. Oh, no cat. There is no cats. No cats yet. Cats, man. Yeah. 
Uh, Oklahoma. We had Oklahoma, though. Ah. Our town. And the three sisters. Oh. And I mean, a whole bunch of stuff. But oh, those are those are the big ones people might have heard of. But yeah, no, no cats. No cats, no chorus line, no hair. Nope. I think those were all 70s. Yeah. Mm. All right. And, okay. So I don't know if anybody out there can make the timeline make sense for me. That'd be great. <laughs> um, so uh, Jack and Daniel then like sort of like thank Michael as they're driving along, um, you know, for being so groovy about all this. Um, and like and Jenny, too. And Michael says that, you know, they want to go with them because he got drafted and he doesn't want to have to, like, kill anybody. And it's actually kind of like, oh, you actually, like, I feel right. I'm, I was like, oh, poor it Michael. Was, you know what I loved about that moment is that he doesn't say I he doesn't say I'm afraid to die sort of thing. He says, I don't want to kill anybody. Yes. I think that Which is I a love. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. And I mean, unfortunately, like that's not something they can do. Like they're just gonna have to like stay here and just work it out. And like Jack wants to tell them everything will be okay, but like Sam like stops them from even like saying that much because you know who knows. The one thing I do wish is like maybe that they had gotten like their last names or something so they could have like looked them back up when they got home. Just to see, yeah. like, what did happen. I think maybe it would have been a nice touch. Like, give us your name, and if we ever come back, we'll visit, you know, something maybe. Yeah, that's a just, recall I would have also liked to see. Yeah, like, yeah, trying to look up Michael and Jenny and just, yeah, see what happened to them. Because yeah. I, 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 I want them to make it and for them to be okay, because they're cute and adorable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they have made it to the armory and they say their goodbyes and everything and they head inside the room and inside we see a tall, fairly flat-ish sort of square box. Like it's definitely more tall and wide than it is deep. And so, I, gee, I wonder what's in that big thing. I wonder what that one huge box in could the possibly of the be of, in the middle of the room surrounded by like four other boxes can be. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what that is. Um, yeah. And we see we see a guard like walk by and then like passes out of frame. We get the telltale like sound and, you know, energy tendrils of the zap blast before like Jack walks into frame and signals to everybody else. And they head over to the gate and uh, Jack and Tilk start like the, the box is big enough that there are ladders on the side of it. And so Daniel and Tilk start climbing up those ladders to undo the locks while Jack and Sam take care of like the bottom ones. And after all the latches are undone, like the front and back of the box fall open. Glamour shot. I know. Okay. Which my, so as cool as this shot is, why are they storing the gate standing up and not lying down? Like it wasn't touchstone. True. Like, why are they storing the gate standing up? It would be much more stable given its size and shape laying down especially like in the middle of the room and not up against a wall yeah exactly yeah Yeah. anyway okay great so here's the great how do we get home and sam's like exactly the way we came via p2x555 and daniel raises the very good point of how can they know that they'll go forward instead of back again if that's how they got here wouldn't traveling the same way just send them back again and Sam's like, well, obviously Hammond chose a solar flare that's on the other side of the sun. It's like, oh, he he did. Did he? I right. like how I'm not sure, quite sure I get that, how that works. Because wouldn't, like, if you went left to right, wouldn't you need to travel, like, right to left or something? I don't, uh, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> um, it doesn't really matter. They're, like, minutes away and they still need a power source. And Jack's like, how much power? Apparently, a couple army jeeps worth of power will do. And we see, like, Sam and Jack behind the wheel of two of the jeeps with, like, you know, um, like, jumper cables attached to that that are then attached to the gate as Tilk manually dials the gate. And we see that, like, three chevrons are locked. And outside, there's a passing guard who, like, hears some sort of weird noise and heads inside to check it out. And we get the final chevron locked and the kawoosh blasts out and the guard is like, oh, my God, what's that? And then, like, kind of remembers that he's a soldier and like yells at SG-1 to like freeze and stop and like pulls out his gun and everything. 
And there's another guard that enters on a walkway up above. And Jack and SG-1 run towards some crate for cover as Jack fires the Zat at both of those guards as they take cover. And Jack yells at like, we gotta go. And Sam's like, it's not time yet. It has to be exact. And Jack's like, we can't wait. It's gotta be close enough. So go. So SG-1 run through the gate and Jack is through and he like jumps as the guards are firing at him and SG-1 are back in the gate room. But it looks abandoned. And we get another lovely Wizard of Oz reference as Jack calls out for Auntie M. And uh, an old woman in a, you know, sort of floaty white dress comes in and greets them like old friends. And apparently she doesn't recognize Daniel with all his hair. So that's interesting. (laughs) And Jack's like, who are you? And she's like, Sam will know who I am. And turns out this is Cassandra. A little 13-year-old Cassandra. Uh, Apparently... In the past, Sam explained this whole situation to her when she was old enough to understand. And so now she's here to, like, fulfill her role in this story. And she was just, like, camping out there. Well, I mean, that's the question. Is the SGC actually abandoned or did they just make it appear that way so that SG-1 didn't see, like, too much future-y stuff that they shouldn't know about yet? And have her just kind of walk in in a nightgown? looking dress thing i didn't that's what sam told cassandra she was wearing so that's what she had to wear because that's what sam said she was wearing (gasps) true so i mean that's a good question like is is the sgc actually abandoned or did they just cover stuff up so sg1 couldn't see stuff they're not supposed to see Mm, well i guess that's a good point yeah um unfortunately there's not enough time for them to stay they like have to go right now and Sam's like, but wait. And she's like, you of all people should know. I can't, like, tell you anything anyway. So uh, Cassandra then raises her hand. On, like, on the back of her hand, there's this, like, gold thing with a green stone in the middle. And she, like, traces her fingers around it. And the Stargate activates. But, like, there's yeah. no whoosh, no chevrons locking. It's just, like, it's just on. And How about that for badass technology? Isn't it? Can we have that? That'd be cool. I know. Um, so Sam pulls out the, like, the GDO, they send the signal, and they say their goodbye, and off they go. They are, and then we cut back to the present-day control room. There's an incoming traveler, and it's SG-1. So Hammond orders the iris opened, and here they come. Yay, they're back home. Yay, surprise! Yay. So the lingering question, though, is how did Hammond know like when this was going to happen, like when, how did he know when to give Sam the note and everything? And he's like the cut that's on the back of your hand because he remembered when he took the cuffs off, he like, you know, bumped it and she like flinched. And when he saw it, he like almost didn't let them go on this mission, but he's like, but you know, you had to let us go. Otherwise who knows what would have happened. And they'll start their very long debrief in one hour. And Oh, Jack, with interest, you owe Hammond $539.50. Nah. Someone, somebody on the internet did the math and like sort of reverse engineered. The original amount given to Jack was $161.29. Oh, okay. The end. Yay. Yay. So here's the thing, though, is that past Hammond met them... So as far as Hammond knew, they went back, but he never really would have known whether or not they made it back to the present day, huh? No. So once they went off, that was that was the end of his knowledge of them. Yeah. So he really should have been a lot more concerned. <laughs> I mean, I guess. But also, you can't go on a search mission for them because where they are is 30 years in the past. True. You can't really send out a rescue party to, to the past. So. But if you could. Yeah. But. So the other thing is the actual, like the physical aspect of the time travel doesn't really seem consistent within the episode. So the first, like the first time travel thing happens, they leave the gate and they come back through the gate in the gate room. Everything is the same. They sort of seem to be existing in the two 
timelines and they seem to be existing in like 1999 and 1969 simultaneously until 1999 like dissolves and they're just in 1969 and they're in like the same they're in the same location they left from however when they come back to the present from the past they come out wherever the gate is because the gate is the 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 time travel device so if the second time travel thing worked the same way the first one did, they should have reappeared in 1999 in that armory in Washington, D.C., not in Cheyenne Mountain with Cassandra. Yeah, not through the gate. Yeah. Unless it's the first one that's the goof. Like, the, the second and the third ones make more sense. You come out through the gate because you're in the gate. So, like, when they went back to 1969, they should have actually come out in the armory. Or if that one... Actually, they should have ended up in Antarctica because the one in the armory was like had no power, wasn't on. So 1969, they should have ended up in Antarctica. Mm, that would have been more believable. Right. Well, more well, likely, more logical, more, I don't know. <laughs> for what we're shown later in the show is the more logical location for them to arrive in 1969. Mm-hmm. So... Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Don't know. So, any memos besides playing the summer of 1969? Uh, recognize your own hand. No, dang. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I, I think it would have been better, in my opinion, to have the recall character not be Hammond, but be the hippies that they meet in the bus. Because my sci-fi brain just went to, like, well, if they already met Hammond in the past, then as soon as Hammond met them in the future, the whole time, like, he can't keep that much of a poker face, especially when he saw Tilk and all that stuff. Like, there would have been a very different reaction to him actually meeting them. Like, of course he wouldn't. He met them for, like, five minutes and whatever and didn't actually know who they were. But when he met them in the past, there would have been a much bigger reaction of, like, oh, my God, it's you. You know, like, <laughs> apparently Hammond is, is you're a, from. Apparently Hammond is a very good poker player. No, he does not have that <laughs> poker face. So, yeah. I, yeah. Hmm. So I think I think it would have been a, been a better recall character for the the hippie people. But you also had to have somebody who was old enough to be alive in both 1969 and 1999 and be of an age where they could do something about it, I think mm-hmm. is the problem. And Hammond is kind of the only one that can do that. Well, I mean, you could have even made them a minor character like Sam, you know, bumps into somebody working in Cheyenne Mountain in the hallway and they slip a note into her pocket and she doesn't know. And it turns out to be one of the hippies in the bus, you know, in, yeah. in the present. Yeah, maybe. You know, some, somebody that they don't interact with every day. Yeah, that could I be guess. a yeah. special character of that episode. True. But yeah. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, overall, overall, yeah, my only memo is about if you're time traveling <laughs> to a year... That has a song with that year. At some point in time, must listen to song. Okay. I shall try to remember that fact. <laughs> remember that for all of your time traveling experiences. Okay. All right. Very good. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. So episode title, 1969. Obviously, that one makes sense. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> it's the year that they travel back to. <gasps> Okay, that's not referencing the song. No, it's actually, no. it's August 4th, 1969, when they land back in the past. Oh, man, no, totally missed that one. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's a little hard to miss, so I'll, I'll forgive you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I get a freebie uh, on that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Um, foreign territories titles, they're all 1969, except in Italy, interestingly right. enough, where it was named Viaggio nel Tempo, which is just time travel. Yeah. Maybe 1969 is just a terrible, not sexy TV phrase. <laughs> uh, it would be 1969 in Italian. Yeah, no, that would have been, a, that would have been fine. Yeah. 1969. Yeah. Oh my God, I remembered how to say years in Italian. Woo! 
because you just you just say the numbers. You say one thousand nine hundred sixty nine. Oh, okay. That's how you say years in Italian. You don't say like nineteen sixty nine like we do. You take like you know the the two digit numbers. You have to say the full one thousand nine hundred sixty nine. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. All right. Yep. Um. Any final thoughts? Yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's as good enough to end on as any people. So thank you all for listening. You can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for the season finale out of mind. What? Bye. Everybody. Bye.